Welcome to the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast, a conversation built to help you address the mess, connect the dots, and defeat addiction. Doing your work matters because if nothing changes, then nothing changes. Life is tough and we're here to help. I'm your host, Ben Derrick, and as always, I'll be joined by Roan Hunter. Let's jump right in. Well, it's a brisk, cool morning in the Sex, God, and Chaos podcast studio. You know, I don't know if people know this, but we are actually in Mississippi. Uh, and in the summertime, um, it it's a little warm here. I always say, I think when they settled this area, it was obviously in November uh, or, <laughs> or March. Yeah. Well, maybe they were just so lazy. They're like, we're not going any further. I think they just, they just, yeah, they just tired out. Yeah. Okay. We're, yeah, this is it. It's the sweat down the back days that really get me. And today is one of those. I, I walked outside, headed over to the studio. I was like, holy moly. It's hot. It's, yeah, I can't walk to my truck through the parking lot without, yeah, I just, I sweat like a billy goat. I can't imagine at your age just how you sustained during Oh, come on. That's just, I had to. Yeah, uh, it's too easy. It's too easy. Listen, uh, you're, I'm, you're an ageist. I am, exactly. Yes. Discriminating yes. against you, which I'm, uh, I'm happy to do. I am so offended. As are many other people. So, <laughs> you, wait a minute. You're offended. <laughs> Yeah, That's uh, how that goes. I'm well, offended. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I always, well, I think we're both equal opportunity offenders. Why not? And I think yeah. this episode is about to prove that. So. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we it's should going just, to. Yeah, no let's float out this warning. If you're a male and you're listening to this, your sensibilities are going to be offended at some point in this episode. Hang in there. Hang yeah. in there. We're going to explain some stuff for you that's going to be very freeing. Yeah, you're definitely going to want your wife to listen to this. Uh, well, maybe not. Second. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you listen first and let her listen second. Oh, so yeah. just to give a little a brief recap, we left off in an episode talking about the Carpman, Carpman with a P, drama triangle. We always have to clarify that every time I say it, do people think Cartman? Yes. South Park? It is not the South Park drama triangle. That is an entertaining triangle. Yes. Not yes. the one that we were it's talking different. about. Yeah. Two different things. So you have the green triangle, you have the red triangle. The red is unhealthy, the green is healthy. There's ways to jump off of one and into the next. You have three major points of relational paradigms interacting with others, whether it be neighbors, friends, spouse, things that we learned growing up that we've adopted, that we're implementing in our relationships, even if we are unaware, perhaps subconsciously, it's the contract that we have with our spouse. We discussed that at length. I think it was a great episode, Making Waves, which is uh, always good for us. Uh, and oh, yeah. by making waves, we mean making an impact and helping people. One thing that we left on the table, though, that we wanted to circle back and discuss, the major point of contention we would propose in our line of work, one of the major, if not the major point of contention in relationships, marital relationships, is sex. It lights off controversy, arguments, feelings, history, almost like nothing else. So we want to help our listeners figure out if that is the pain point in your relationship and you're trying to understand the Cartman drama triangle, when you put those two things in a cocktail, how do you get off that, as you guys call it, the crazy dance? Uh, gosh, well, you know, that's one of the things, even just our, the language and vernacular around sex and sexuality. What a valid point. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, you know, there's slang terms and then there's clinical terms and 
proper terms, and then, uh, but most couples, uh, there's no terms because what we find is that with sex, uh, there's very little communication. Uh, and when we talk about the, we, we call it uh, the three nuclear landmines uh, in, in marriage, uh, those three landmines are, are money, um, in-laws, and sex. And so those three things, uh, typically, uh, you get, there's there's ripe potential for mm. conflict. Yeah. And sex is one, uh, obviously, that we work with all the time. And it, it may not even necessarily be conflict, uh, but it's it's often just kind of a uh, an armed truce, uh, a, a silent minority, <laughs> a silent majority, because both couples are just, there's no, no communication. And, you know, that's one of the hopes of just this podcast is that, that this would generate a discussion, um, certainly uh, in a marriage, uh, maybe uh, in a, in a faith setting, uh, again, one of those areas where there's no communication. Mm. Um, and so it's just the idea of like this, this triangle, uh, even uh, the podcast, uh, the, these two episodes, and well, I think every episode, every episode is an opportunity for just having a great discussion. Isn't it interesting? Uh, of all the language that flies around a family system, you get to husband and wife, and even the word orgasm feels out of place. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's something that probably one person in the couple is chasing a consistent amount of time. Chasing the scream, as yeah, I call it. Exactly. Yeah. And we, But we say orgasm in a conversation, and, and you oh. can tell. I mean, even in a session when I say, well, tell, tell me about kind of yeah. orgasms in your marriage and, and sex life. I mean, it, it, it looks like I have done something horribly offensive by saying that word. I'm like... Wow. Oh, yeah. Now we know the temperature of what's going on inside this home, just the unspoken. There's no language around it. We don't even know how to, how to talk about it. And I love the fact that you talk about going into our uh, juvenile, junior high selves when, when the topic of sex comes up. So we, it's, <laughs> we're kind of doomed from the start is what we're saying, unless we reach out and get information from people that have normalized and become comfortable with talking about sexual issues that's what we're out to do. So what do you do with a couple that you can tell, what, what's a charitable word for it? Frozen. They're just <laughs> frozen around the topic of sex. Yeah, uh, you, you're so correct, Ben. It's just like you, when you just mention these terms, and, man, you can even see the body language. Uh, you can just read it knowing that they are so uncomfortable talking about it just in a natural, normal, organic way. Because uh, that's the way sex in a marriage should be, uh, natural and organic. And uh, it, it, it should just be a part of a conversation uh, like anything else in your life. And so the, one of the ways that we work with it, uh, every couple that comes into our office, uh, every couple we work with, whether there's sexual brokenness or not, um, believe it or not, we do work with uh, we work with anything and everything, um, uh, but we also work a lot with sexual brokenness mm -hmm. in whatever form that takes. But every couple we start out with uh, the the it's it's a handout that we give them, and it's just called owning your story, and it's 
it's about eight pages of just questions, uh, you know, uh, questions about mom and dad growing up, good, bad, questions about uh, finances, uh, what'd you see? And, and, and all the, the questions are like, what did you see? What did you experience growing up? Um, because those are the things that formed our belief system around whatever aspect of life that we live. And, and then um, questions about God and spirituality. And then there's a lot of questions about sex and sexuality. Uh, and those questions around that are mostly all geared towards uh, childhood uh, and, and what you grew up uh, seeing and learning. And that's and, very intentional. A very intentional. Yeah. But again, as I say, we, that's every couple, sexual brokenness or not. And we always tell them that, you know, the reason that those there's a lot of those questions is because this area is fraught with a lot of tension uh, or at least potential uh, conflict. And there's so much there. I think we should, uh, I use a very similar resource in my practice, and I was very tempted at the top, instead of calling it owning your story, uh, calling it things we don't talk about. (laughs) Just eight pages of things we don't talk about. So uh, we find ourselves as a couple in this place of tension, and I think we, um, you know, want to be very honest about this. We're very careful to not stereotype because every couple is different, like you mentioned a few episodes ago. Uh, But one of the partners in the couple uh, is having difficulty sexually because they are the initiator. They feel that sense of rejection. I find it's very common. That's what throws a couple into this drama triangle, you know, within, like you say, seven seconds. (laughs) That's shorter than a bull ride, right? Um, They... One initiates, the other declines. Uh, it's experienced as rejection, and it's almost like someone hit the playlist on Spotify, watch this, right? This works out in very typical ways that I think you, uniquely because of your decades of work with couples around this model, could explain for us uh, in a very succinct way to help us wrap our minds around what's actually going on in these arguments that just feel so terrible individually and as a marriage. Well, I... I think a big part of it, uh, at least what I see, is often um, each of us in the coupleship, uh, we come into the marriage, uh, even into the relationship, with shame wrapped around our sexuality in some way, shape, or form. And we also, we've already got messages. uh, uh, It's become part of our belief system. Uh, of around sex, uh, one of the things that's common for so many men is this idea that like sex equals love. And the, the problem with that is certainly that's not true. It's like the idea is like somehow sex equals love. And the problem with that is uh, we know that our greatest need is love. I mean, God tells us that. He tells us that because it says God is love, and, and we need God. We need love. You know, certainly Scripture, the, the Bible's very clear about that, just as human beings. Um, and so now, uh, it, our, so our greatest need is love. I mean, that's, that's a matter of fact. But now we've got it tied to sex, and so therefore, what happens, sex becomes my greatest need. 
And sex is not a need. Sex is a desire, uh, and desires can be managed. Uh, actually, God puts that on us. Uh, even when, you know, Cain's getting ready to kill Abel, and God comes to Cain, and he says to him, uh, Cain, this desire uh, inside of you, if you don't master it, it will destroy you. And that's the dark side of desire, the yetzerhara. I'm sure I mispronounced it, the southern Hebrew. Um, uh, but that is, those are all the dark desires. It's not just murder. It's murder, lust, greed, envy, all the dark desires, the dualistic nature of man. Because in Psalms it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, those are the good desires. In Hebrew, it's the yetzer hadav, and those are the good desires. Uh, I mean, to be heard and understood, to be affirmed, to be blessed, which simply means to add life to, to be safe uh, emotionally and physically, to be touched, non-sexual touch. And if you're married, it's a both-and, non-sexual and sexual. To be included and to be chosen. Included and chosen, that's our sense of belonging. We all want to belong. And when those desires are not met um, in childhood growing up, we're going to figure out some illegitimate way to go get those met. And we do. And we'll go to the dark side of desire. And so all of this, I mean, sex is so uh, connected to every aspect of our soul, uh, every aspect of our created design. And, and it has such a, an effect because it really is the most sacred part of who we are. I mean, <laughs> each of us, male and female, we have the ability to create life inside of us. God has placed his most creative aspect of who he is in each of us, male and female, man and woman. And that's why it is so sacred. And so sexuality outside of the created design is much a much deeper problem because of the affect that it has in every aspect of our created design. That may be the best few minutes we've recorded to date. Oh, gosh, yeah. Man, I, I mean, I'm sitting across from you having done a lot of this work with you and still mind blown, <laughs> right? The, the transfer of out of um, one realm and into the other, and one word stuck out to me, illegitimate. That, that is just not legitimate. And when we bring those things into a physical relationship with our partner, that's certainly a word that isn't spoken very often. Oh, yeah. That, that's not a legitimate uh, need. It's a desire, and I'm not meeting that desire right now for a host of reasons. But we're having an argument as though it is extremely legitimate. And I think this leads to a lot of, this is a word we use very sparingly, but I think we should start using it more inside the confines of marriage. That's abusive to the partner. To frame something in a way that they are not meeting a need and they're withholding some sort of need. And boy, does religion just zoom into the conversation here. And then we start to bastardize all those teachings that you just talked about. And then all hell breaks loose inside of a marriage and we shut down intimacy. We shut down conversation. And couples can get stuck in that place for decades. So I would just encourage to our listeners, if if you're in this place in your life, which many, many couples are that are finding podcasts like this, 
go back and listen to those few minutes and pause about every 20 seconds and take those lessons in because they are foundational for where we're going for the rest of the episode today. That is the base. If, if you don't, as a couple, understand those things, then any of the hacks or relational tricks we're going to talk about later just won't work because you're not on the same page. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it really is this, the, you know, we just, we call it distorted thinking. Um, each, each person uh, in the relationship uh, comes into it uh, with a, a lot of distorted thinking around sex. Um, uh, even if you're, you know, never been uh, involved in porn or, or anything like that, doesn't matter. Uh, I believe, we believe that uh, just living in this culture today, it's a sexualized atmosphere, and in some way, shape, or form, we're all infected. Uh, we cannot avoid it. Uh, and so I believe we're all suffering from sexual brokenness just because of the distorted thinking that permeates the atmosphere. And then you get into church, well, there's a whole nother set of distorted thinking. Mm. Um, you know, this idea uh, that somehow, you know, it's the wife's duty to take care of her husband. Oh, my goodness. If um, I, if, if, if that ever uh, is spoken uh, at any church or church service that we're a part of, um, I, I will probably uh, beat Eva up to the pulpit to slap that guy. Well, I wouldn't slap him. I'd just hit him right in the mouth. Right in the mouth. Yeah. Uh, Eva would, yeah. Well, she'd probably hit him right in the mouth too. She's, she's pretty tough. Um, but, but, I mean, it's so offensive uh, that somehow it is, you know, the wife has to take care of her husband sexually. Now, certainly, you know, sex is part of marriage. It's part of a relationship. But everything in a marriage should be mutual. Um, even the uh, first mention of the word in the Hebrew word picture for marriage is the picture. It's a it's a man and a woman standing on level ground. And so it symbolizes the equality um, uh, in, in marriage. And then there's an arc over the top of them symbolizing mutuality. And so there's not this idea of submission and all that terrible teaching. We believe that even that, you know, husbands love, wives submit. Um, I believe it's a mistranslation because um, in Genesis, uh, the Hebrew word for man is zakar. The Hebrew word for woman is ezer konegdo. Um, I won't go, we'll do a whole nother episode on that. Uh, I would love for us to because it's it's, it's awesome. powerful. Yeah, it um, is powerful. But it's the idea that the, the man, the descriptive word for man is zakar, and it literally means the remembering one, and it has a verb connotation of to act. And it's really, I believe, if I could sum up masculinity in, in one word, well, it'd be two, but to initiate. And it's to initiate relationally and emotionally. And it, it, when we're doing that, uh, our wives feel safe and secure. And Eve, the Ezra Connecto, is created to respond, not submit. And so it's like husbands love, wives respond. I believe that that's what that verse, those verses are actually saying because my lived experience in my own life bears that out and the many people that I've sat with, when that 
paradigm gets put in place in the relationship, you see it happen. It's like spokes in a wheel. Husbands initiate relationally and emotionally. I believe that's what it should say. And then it's, it, uh, wives respond. It, it's initiation and response. And, and it's mutuality. But boy, this sex thing in a marriage uh, becomes a demand. Uh, it becomes a duty. It becomes an obligation. And by the way, uh, men, if you're listening and just, if your wife is operating in some kind of uh, duty-bound uh, obligation uh, around sex, um, get ready because at some point, uh, I've never seen this not happen. Uh, maybe it has, but in my experience, it hasn't. That wife is going to wake up one day and realize what's going on, and she's going to be a very angry woman, and she should be mm. by all means because it's not supposed to be that way. I demand that you enjoy this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that sound just... <laughs> Off the wall. Yeah. It, it sometimes it's not even uh, that you enjoy this. I that just demand this. it. Yeah. <laughs> I just demand that you yeah. do and this. And I mean, that that's so unhealthy and it's so outside uh, the design of marriage and, and even the gift of sex that God gives to a husband and wife. It's not supposed to be that way. We use some language around this that uh, this act, um, and I love calling it that because it, implies that it's mutual, like this act, together act. It's uh, a symbol and a symptom of both that connection, uh, the connection outside of the bedroom. This is how I talk to my clients about it. You know, we're not connecting, you know, in, inside the, the bedroom, which is not how they say it. Like, we're not having enough sex. Either, either no, spouse. No, they yeah. will always say, we, we haven't been intimate. We haven't been intimate. I'm like, you don't know what that word means. <laughs> yeah, Get out of here. Correct it. Get like, out of here. Go put well, $5 in the bucket. You yeah, don't know what that word means. I, I, I'm looking at the guy, because I would never say this to a wife, because I'm smarter than this, than that. But I look at him and he goes like, dude, you, you've never been intimate in your life because you don't know what that is. Exactly. You're talking about sex. You are talking about sex. But when, when, you, when you zoom the conversation out, of the bedroom and you place it in the kitchen. And I do, I literally do this with my clients. Let's walk around your house as a couple. How do you connect in the kitchen? How do you connect in the living room? How do you connect in the front yard? How do you connect in your vehicle when you're going places? What does connection look like for you as a couple? Because you want to zoom into this act inside the bedroom, but you are a couple every, everywhere you go. And if you're shutting the partner out a consistent amount of time in the relationship, and then you just want to switch on, to connecting not only emotionally but also physically where all the shame is involved and the things we've grown up in, like you are not setting yourself up for success. And here's that word again, dude, you are not setting yourself up for success. No wonder an argument ensues when you take this approach to your spouse. It, it was a necessary end to this approach. And these arguments, I'd like to reframe those if we can before we get to the solving part of this episode, which we need to get to. These arguments are not an indicator uh, that something's wrong with you or the other person. It's an indicator that there's something wrong with this paradigm that we're applying to this part of our marriage. It's, a, it's an indicator. We need to move towards this and be together to try to solve it because if this is ending in argument and not ending in connection, we have a very clear poor return on investment. So how do we need to adjust? How do we need to change? And that's where 
I find, you find, most couples are ill-equipped to even know what to do. And unfortunately, many of them solve it by going outside of the marital relationship, chasing fantasy, chasing a thrill where none of this stuff is present because everything's new. It feels like a fix, which leads to an affairage and everything just goes crazy from there. But if we could stop and implement some systems, some processes, when these arguments even are occurring, perhaps between when they occur, which would be that initiation part, what does that look like? I'm you know, just asking a very direct question for you because I feel like our listeners are asking, okay, I'm convinced. What do I do? How do I approach this? Well, you know, again, when we're even going through the questions with a couple um, around sex and sexuality, man, there's a lot that's uncovered uh, just with these, uh, I think there's maybe 25 or 30 questions uh, in that one section. And it's pretty amazing how much is uncovered just walking through those questions. And, you know, those those are actually, the, they are in our book, um, uh, the, um, the Sex, God, and, and the Chaos of Betrayal. Um, and those questions are in the book. And it's, it's a great way to just, even as a couple, to walk through that, to have the conversations. Ideally, yeah, you do that with a knowledgeable therapist. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, uh, that, that, that's important. This could go sideways it, with, with it, the wrong it, clinician. Oh, uh, it could. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not bashing our competition, uh, but, man, we've just heard so many horror stories when it comes to uh, a couple seeking help in this area. But, uh, but you can go through those questions, you know, individually, or, I mean, it's certainly together as a couple. And so it's a very practical way uh, to begin to talk about it. Uh, the, the, what we say, you know, problematically is, is there's often so much shame wrapped around it because of the because of our each of us our individual history, and each of us have an individual history when it comes to sex and sexuality, and if there's been some uh, you know some kind of sexual abuse in the past, boy that that's where you you've got to go you you've got to get uh, professional help in order to walk through that because mm. it has such a deep effect. Um, uh, on it's really every everything, and again, goes back to that sacredness of of our of sexuality, and how it affects the entire uh, soul, every aspect of our being, and that's why it's such a long term effect when there's been sexual violation uh, on any level, um, you know, in childhood, and and so the the shame around it. Uh, the past history that we have, uh, the the input uh, of of culture, uh, whether that's porn, whether it's movie, whether it's music, uh, I mean TV show. When you start looking at uh, culture uh, from, uh, I would just call it a healthy sexuality. You know what's healthy sexuality? Well, it's everything opposite of our culture, but we've been in that pot of boiling water uh, with very little guidance, uh, direction, or protection. And 
And so we all come up with a lot of distorted thinking around sex. Uh, and then, God forbid, uh, we get on TikTok uh, or, or social media. I love how we pick on TikTok. Uh, it's just too easy. It's right? too easy. I don't know. Uh, but but you start reading, you know, uh, it, and today there's, it, there's talk about uh, sex and those different venues, but so much of it is so terrible. Uh, that's why, you know, Eve and I are, we're part of the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists, and I always emphasize the word Christian uh, sex therapist because, uh, man, you go to some crazy counselor, some somebody that's a sex specialist that doesn't have a biblical Christian worldview, well, I would just say don't do that because what you're going to get is uh, you're going to get the distorted thinking on steroids. Um, it's it's just it's not it's not healthy sexuality when they're talking about things like healthy BDSM. That's not healthy. Uh, I mean, there's so much like that in crazy counseling world. That's only expanding. For oh, sure. oh, it's yeah, it's getting yeah worse and worse. People are going to have to become more and more selective about who they're sitting with, and you know, insurance even is not a good indicator mm. whether this person is qualified to sit down and have these conversations. And you know, the questions I'm having as you're talking about this is, how do I ask my partner to honor a history that I've never examined and I don't know, and because of that, I've never spoken to you about. There are so many um, marriages, I think, that are affected by things that are triggering the partner that the one who's triggering has no idea. I, I didn't even know that was a part of your history, and it's dramatically affecting how we're interacting sexually. And if something is triggering a history, maybe that I haven't examined, but I'm, I'm aware is back there, I don't like the feeling that it gives me, then I'm going to push away from connecting physically, and especially for the man. Hear how intricate and complicated that is. It's got nothing to do with you and your performance. It's the fact that engaging in that activity, even in that way, that doesn't trigger you, doesn't step on your history, but it steps on their history. And we've never taken the time to even discuss that. And then we just descend into an argument about frequency. We're never uh. going to win. We're, we're never going to actually move past this issue. We're just going to be looking at the calendar and making little marks in our iPhone, like had sex today, been 19 days or whatever, whatever it is. This is a much deeper conversation. And I think that initiate is so important here to be able to initiate conversation outside of the bedroom with the spouse. And when that happens, though, it isn't long, and you talk about rage a lot, and I think it's appropriate. It isn't long before that rage emerges and we hop onto the triangle. Uh, so as a couple, when we are doing all this victim and rescuing, you know, it's a, it, it happens in a flash. Um, boy, I'm just stepping all over sexual words today. Uh, it, 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 it happens in a flash, and we don't even know kind of how we got there. We just know that we're both angry, and eventually we're both crying, and then we're pouting in separate rooms. I mean, I've been there. You've been there. We've all been there. Uh, how do we begin to make roads as a couple does it start, as you're saying, not really with the couple? It starts with an individual investigating their own history before these things happen? 
Yeah, it it has to. Uh, we're marriage counselors. Uh, we we often say there's no such thing as marriage counseling. I mean, how do you counsel a marriage? Uh, what's a marriage? You're counseling two two individuals, right? Mm. And hopefully, they're both willing to grow and change, and they're willing to examine uh, their history, their past, uh, look at their family system, because that's the only way it's ever going to work. And so you've got to begin to go back and look at uh, how sex uh, was was talked about in you know growing up, uh, it, you know that that includes not just parents but in school, uh, in church, uh, and when you start looking at all these different aspects of it, I mean there's just there's a lot to it, right? And and then you know, the, the, is so ripe for uh, conflict because we come into it uh, with a lot of demands and assumptions, right? I mean, so many guys, <laughs> you, you've heard it, we've heard everybody. It's, it's like, man, you know, uh, I had this porn problem and, you know, I, I thought when I got married that that would fix it, right? Mm. Oh, gosh. Uh, it, 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 and then it's like the idea, you know, you say it, I say it, we say it often. It's like nowhere in recorded history ever has uh, it been recorded that a man died from lack of orgasm. I mean, that just has not happened. No death certificate. I mean, maybe it happened, but it's it's not written down anywhere, right? Uh, you will not die because you did not orgasm, you know, uh, you know it, once a day, every day. Mm. Um and and but but we we come into it with the distorted thinking and and it's just such a setup because you know wives have their own individual distorted thinking i mean oftentimes girls grow up where it's this idea that somehow you know sex is bad and dirty save it for the person you love and marry think about that what a terrible message. Yeah, I know. I what mean, a but, terrible it, Christian message. I mean, but it's it's almost that way that somehow that's how it gets preached. And the message is this terrible, bad, dirty thing. Oh, save it for the person I love the most. Yeah. And I'm married. Don't uh, you wish that you had just a ledger of females that had that have come through your practice uh, that feel and look, they're they're Body language, as you've suggested, their body language tells you, I'm embarrassed to say I enjoy sex. Oh, man. It, I'm it, embarrassed to say that. I'm like, oh, boy. And then, so what I start doing after that is, tell me about the church you grew up mm-hmm. in. It's that's always a, there. That's exactly where I go. Tell oh, me. Yeah. That is a clear indicator that there is very strong religious influence around how you, what you feel and think about sex. Yeah. And usually that was passed on by mom to mm-hmm. daughter to, this is the generational thing that we're talking about. Yep. It's, it's very silent. I mean, we're, we're all talking about pornography and just the world's going crazy with sex and how we view it. We're all talking about that. What we're not talking about is how trapped women feel on the other side of the coin mm. if they very much enjoy sex, uh, e- even in a healthy way. Now, there's distortions like you talk about, distorted thinking there. We, we all have those, but... I think what we're exposing today is this is a really complex issue and there is no silver silver bullet. Like, hey, when you're in an argument uh, as a couple, uh, this is what you need to do, X, Y, Z. You have to have a knowledge and an understanding of self, which loops back to our episode on doing work. You have to do your work or you are sunk in this part of your relationship. Well, you know, just... Uh 
coming back to the triangles, uh, when this thing uh, in the conflict, when it starts, I mean, uh, okay, guys, you just have to accept this. Uh, where you go is to the victim corner, right? Because you're you're going to your wife for sex, and maybe she's tired. Uh, maybe she's got a lot on her mind. Maybe uh, she does not want to have sex in that moment. And then we get rejected, we get angry, and then we go into our man's superpower, sulk and pout in the corner, which is the victim corner on the triangle. Mm. That's the way that works. And and so because you feel rejected, uh, your demands are, are not met, uh, and then you feel like you're going to die, right, because you're not going to be able to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you probably, uh, while she goes to sleep and go check your bank account and get on the porn website and masturbate anyway. Mm. Uh, there's Solve the, it yourself. Yeah, there's the, there's the resentment uh, that is fueled by this stinking thinking, right? And resentment is one of the drivers in all the acting out behaviors, whether it's an affair, whether it's porn, it does not matter. Resentment, uh, we would call it eroticized rage, is in play. And um, one of the things that I tell clients often, tell men all the time, I work really hard to not harbor any resentment towards my wife um, because it's it's and it's not like just altruistic and chivalrous or something. It's, <laughs> That's not you. No, no, no. It's just simply self protection. I would call it self awareness because I know if I'm hanging on to resentment towards her, man, that is going to uh, start pumping that fuel to that fire of wanting to go look at something, do something, whatever. Uh, it it fuels the acting out, or at least certainly the wanting to. It's it's always stronger for me when even I are sideways. By the way, we do still get sideways. Is that real? Your, oh, your professional relationship yes. people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, people are not going to come see us anymore. Cat's out of the bag. Oh, uh, that's why I it, would come it, to see it, you. It's like a pastor admitting that uh, he's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, yeah. Or he he doubts the providence of God on some days. Like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, that means you're just like us. Has that I don't has that ever happened where you a pastor admits he's not perfect? I don't know. Well, there there were a few of us out there. Um, The the trouble is most of us aren't pastors anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 usually (laughs) the way it goes. But I'll give you props. Uh, You were very real uh, in your pastoring and preaching. Yeah, and Uh, the people who were in the room accepted it. So I I love what you're talking about with with resentment um, because it is such a critical piece that gets ignored. Because it's so internal and, and quiet, that, mm. that resentment, having that resentment check in and choosing relationship over resentment. And that, that's a hard thing to do unless you have some words around it and you commit to it and you have some discipline. Because what we understand, what you're describing is resentment turns us into people we don't like and we don't want mm-hmm. to be. Then after that resentment, we have regret. Regret leads to shame. And now we're in the addiction cycle and it's so much harder to like, The more you travel around that cycle, the more momentum you build, the harder it is to jump off because you're afraid you're going to break something. So that resentment piece, I think, is a very clear, definitive indicator. 
something's going wrong here. Oh, yeah. And so just, you know, going back to the triangles. So I've gone victim because I'm in my pity party. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to bounce over to that perpetrator side. And so now I'm resentful. uh, And I'm probably, I've gone, you know, into withdrawal or stonewalling because I'm pouting. And so now resentment is in play. Uh, and and I'm angry, and and so, and I've I've put my wife. She may not necessarily even be there, uh, in, but she is now firmly in the parent role, because she's now mama, withholding something that I, the little six year old boy, is demanding. Uh, like at the checkout line at the grocery store, and I'm I'm over here in my little temper tantrum, and Mama is not providing what I need. She will not give me the candy. Oh gosh, that is just a disgusting word yeah, picture, dude. And I always look at couples, and especially I look at the guy, and I go, now, "Dude, I know we're in Mississippi, but you know, uh, having sex with your mama is kind of creepy." That's strange. Yeah, but. But in essence, that's the Emotionally dynamic. speaking, that's what we're that's, asking to occur. That's exactly what we've created, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I, I don't want to be the little boy, uh, you know, trying to get my way. And that's all I'm doing. Uh, it's, it's victim perpetrator. It's the narcissistic line uh, on the triangle, right? I, I'm demanding it. Uh, I want it my way. Um, and there's certainly no mutuality there. There's no sacrifice there. There's no uh, grace there. There's no pay. I mean, when you start looking at it from a spiritual aspect, all of those great virtues of our faith, they're all in play. And and so if I'm doing that, uh, it, I've got to look inside, you know, what's going on with me. And I want to be a man uh, that takes responsibility, that initiates uh, I want to be a man that that sacrifices. Uh, I want to be a man that that loves well. I, I always say I believe there's only three goals in the Christian journey. Uh, number one is to become a great lover. Uh, that doesn't mean like you know penthouse forum uh, or I mean that that's like Jesus, right? Because that's what Jesus was, not a mamby pamby lover, not a really really nice guy lover. Uh, that's not Jesus, but a great lover because love is hard, love is tough, love confronts, love is a choice. Uh, it's not even that. That's another whole episode probably. Mm-hmm. Our concept of what love is is so distorted, but it's to become a great lover. And then the second goal in the Christian journey is to become whole and holy. I do not believe you can separate those two things out. Wholeness and holiness are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. I would even spell holiness as W-H-O-L-I-N-E-S-S because that's what Jesus was. That's who he was. He was a whole man. He was a mature man. He was a well-boundaried man. He wasn't a little Superman with a cape on. If we believe that Jesus if we believe what we say we believe, that he was fully man, he was fully a man. Mm. He didn't have this little, you know, cape and this stuff really didn't affect him. I mean, that would go against, you know, everything that is taught. I mean, that scripture is very clear about. And then the, the last goal in the Christian journey is just simply to become my true self 
in Christ. Because it's like, that's really what we're recovering. All, all of us are recovering is like the life that God intended me to live before all hell broke loose in my life. Uh, and all this stuff started forming me uh, and shaping me uh, in, you know, in, in all the brokenness. But, you know, God had a plan and an intention for my life. And my job is to get on that path of not somehow, you know, God, what's your plan for my life? I mean, God's plan for my life is to become uh, like Jesus in nature and character and behavior. I mean, that that's the plan for our lives. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. To learn more about what you've heard today and to engage with the Sex, God, and Chaos team, visit sexgodchaos.com.